1: depression what an industry huh you can't get through a commercial break without seeing some ad for the answer to depression with a drug of course an antidepressant we've got the true drug if you will join us abounding grace is next Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We're in the middle of a series on depression taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. We're in part two of a message entitled, Is Your Life Marked by Sorrow or Joy? And we would invite you to catch up with us here in Luke chapter 5 as we take a look at some biblical answers. Looking for a remedy outside of one of those ads on the TV? Well, you've come to the right place. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of a real encouragement. Here on Abounding Grace.
2: Luke five thirty three through 39 And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees? But thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days." And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. Beloved, I finished my sermon last week by telling you that Christians should be the happiest and most joyful people on the face of the earth because of the loving, salvific work that Christ has wrought in our lives and continues to bless us with. And last week we sang what is perhaps my favorite hymn, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. That explains the mighty, comprehensive, redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ and why we should be so full of joy. So let me read it to you, along with just a few comments. Joy to the World. The Lord is come, let earth receive her King. Christ is not just our Savior who takes away our sins. He is our Lord and our King who rules and reigns over all His created order. He is the omnipotent One. And nothing can thwart His plan as He leads His church in a march against the gates of hell that we are promised shall never prevail against us. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing. Even heaven and nature rejoices over their redemption. Salvation is totally comprehensive, beloved. And they also rejoice over the transformed hearts of God's people. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. How can we not sing songs of joy over the loving reign of our Lord and Savior? And here the author, Isaac Watts, reminds us again how Scripture tells us that all of nature rejoices over the mighty redemptive work of Christ. For he says, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. I ask you, how far is this curse found, my friends? It affects every single corner of our created order. He came to earth to reverse His curse upon this vast globe. He didn't come to simply... Save individuals from the pit of hell. Although he certainly does do that. He came to reverse his curse over everything that curse touches. And there is nothing that curse does not touch. And it all began at his death. Burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. And it includes all things in time not just the hearts of individuals. The Lord Jesus Christ himself prayed, as John said earlier, teaching us how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. His victory over sin and death and evil is a sure thing, beloved. No matter what you see going on around you at this particular point in history, and no matter what trials we are facing now in our lives, we must simply be faithful on our daily task of serving Him and rejoicing in His promises and abundant daily blessings, remembering that He lives in our present Presence, strengthening us, enabling us to do all things that he commands us to do. How can we not be overwhelmed with joy, beloved? It is only if we take our eyes off of him and we do not live in the reality of his presence. Now Isaac Wasp based this hymn on the great victorious-oriented Psalm 98. And I would would, would advise you, sorry, to read that psalm when you get home today. Now, after saying all of that, I'm sure you've noticed that this parable has a dark side to it. And if you're not careful, you could be confused by it. Look at verse 34. Jesus said unto them, Can you make the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now here's the dark side. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. What an ominous tone will those words have. But days will come. He says as long as the bridegroom is present... The bridegroom's attendants can do nothing but rejoice. They cannot fast. It would be terrible to ask them to. But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away. And then the attendants of the bridegroom will be so overcome with grief and confusion, it will be impossible for them to do anything other than fast. Now what's he talking about? Is this reference to the era that we live in now in which Christ is not physically with us? No. He's not talking about this era now where Christ is not with us. He's talking about the violent death which is about to take place. Turn to Isaiah 53. Now keep in mind when similar words are used in the teaching of Jesus from the Old Testament... Do not think that that is a coincidence. Isaiah 52 and 53 are about the significance of the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right in the middle of all this, Isaiah says in verse 7 and 8 from the New American Standard Bible, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. And back in verse 35 of Luke 5, it says, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. So what's my point? Well, first of all, this is the second veiled reference to the violent death of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus far in the book of Luke. Now, Luke hasn't come right out and given us an exposition on the meaning of the death of Christ yet, but of course, he will do that. He has only made allusions to it, and those allusions have been veiled. This is the second. Do you perhaps remember the first? Turn to Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. And said unto Mary his mother, Behold that this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea a sword will pierce through my through thy soul, own soul, Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now here here Mary was all excited about the Son of God incarnate that she had recently brought into the world. And she and Joseph were singing hymns of praise, going to Simeon to have him blessed. They were so excited about his future. The proud will be brought down. The humble will be exalted in the history of Israel because of this child. Oh, what a great future that will be. But then Simeon says to Mary, Mary, because of this son of yours, someday a sword is going to be plunged into your heart. It's going to break because of what take place, what's going to take place in his life. Obviously, this is a veiled reference to his death. Now, back in Luke 5, Jesus is saying to these men, There is a day coming which my disciples will no longer be able to rejoice. When it will be impossible for them not to fast because I will no longer be with them for a time. I will be taken away by a violent death. Tragedy will strike the bridal hall. The bridegroom will be murdered. The bridegroom will be taken away forcibly from the disciples by Roman authorities. He will be illegally tried, brutally beaten, crucified, and buried. And during this time that Jesus has taken away from his disciples, he says, My disciples that are rejoicing in my physical presence now, they will not then. They will be overcome with grief and confusion because they will no longer be with me. And I will no longer be with them. Now what were those days to come? What period of time was he making reference to? From the time of his arrest until his resurrection. The time that he was absent from his disciples. Undergoing the final stage of his humiliation. That our sins deserved in suffering death and burial. But even to a lesser extent, not only was he absent from his disciples from the time he was arrested to the time of his resurrection, during which time among the disciples there was no joy, there was only doom and gloom, sorrow, devastation, and grief, because they did not un- understand what was taking place. But although he was physically present, even for a short period of time after his resurrection, they could still be said to grieve and be solemn until the day of Pentecost. Now, what happened on the day of Pentecost that ended this time of fasting and the time for the disciples grieving? It was on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus Christ came back to be with his disciples through his Spirit. He was with his disciples until he was arrested. He was separated them while He was suffering and buried. He came back by resurrection and walked upon the earth for 40 days until His ascension. Then 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus Christ came back to His disciples more powerfully and more supernaturally and more intimately than He had ever been with them before. And His presence was greater and more glorious with His disciples after the day of Pentecost than any time since His incarnation. So therefore, if the disciples of Jesus could rejoice in the presence of Jesus when He walked upon the earth before His arrest and crucifixion, how much more, beloved! Should we, as the people of God today, be people of joy and celebration and rejoicing at the fact that the presence of Jesus is even more overwhelming and powerful and intimate with us than it was with them? And yet, so many members of churches today are sad and depressed almost all the time. Beloved, if you are sad and depressed, that could very well mean that no matter what you profess to believe, you have not yet entered a life of joy under the sovereignty of Jesus. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no room for depression and joy only joy. What do you mean, Gary, when you say that Jesus came back into the presence On the day of Pentecost. No, that's actually what Jesus himself said. Jesus was arrested, taken from his disciples until his resurrection, and then on his ascension he physically left them and went to sit at the right hand of God. And the disciples were still grieving and confused. In fact, so much so that only 120 of them could be rounded up on the day of Pentecost. But then on the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the right hand of God, poured out His Holy Spirit upon His church. And He told us that in pouring out His Holy Spirit upon His church, one of the things that would happen was that He would come back to us. That He would be bringing His presence back into our lives. Turn to John 14, and let me show you. John fourteen twelve. This is right at the end of Jesus' life. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Now, I go to the Father means I'm going to die. I'm going to be away from you a while, I'm arrested until my death and burial. I'm going to be away from you physically after my resurrection and ascension to God's right hand. But whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you, and will be with you. Now notice He says, If I don't go to my Father, the Holy Spirit can't come, and I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon your life. And when I pour him out on your life, verse 18, I will not leave you comforted less. I will comfort you. Now that sentence is in direct relationship to Jesus going to the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit upon his people who the world cannot receive. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you myself. For after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you live also. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loveth me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being not present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Those are words that should thrill a Christian's heart, beloved. Words that should overwhelm him. Words that you should go back to time after time because they tell us about the Holy Spirit bringing the presence of the living Christ into the life of his church from the day of Pentecost on. He says, I left you for a while. Before that, you rejoiced with me as as a bridegroom's attendance with the bridegroom. My violent death took place and we were separated. I ascended physically to God's right hand, but now that my Holy Spirit has come, I have been brought infinitely closer to you. Brought you infinitely closer to me in a relationship the likes of which nothing can compare. Beloved, the time of weeping is over. The era of true rejoicing has begun. This is not a time today for fasting. This is not a time for us to be depressed. This is not a time for gloomy, dry, and dead long faces. This is a time for joy. Because you and I, sinful believers that we are, are in Christ and have the awesome, the infinite privilege of enjoying supernatural union and communion with Christ in his very presence, every day of our lives. Not just when you come to church, but every day. Now, if I may, let me make one correction in Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism still requires regular times of fasting for their members. Because according to their doctrine. This time in which the bridegroom is absent includes the entire time period from his arrest until his coming again at the end of the world, when he will then come back to be with his church physically. Therefore, since Christ is absent from his church and will continue to be absent until he comes again physically at the end of time, this is a time then for fasting, a time for solemnity. But you see what John 14 tells us? Christ isn't absent from His church. Christ is present with us more deeply and more personally than He ever was the day before Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit of God was brought upon us. Beloved, we are not orphans. We are not left to ourselves in this world. sometimes... We may think we stand alone and there is no one else who seems to stand with us. Sometimes we think that no one really wants to understand us when we're ostracized and ridiculed and discredited and made fun of. So we feel somewhat depressed and and lonely. And sometimes because of all the pressures of the battles we have to face, the pressures of temptation, the pressures of our life, the pressures of criticism from without, the pressure of Christians turning their backs on us and walking off the battlefield because they are tired and they want to walk away. It's times like that that we need the encouragement that the conscious knowledge of the presence of Christ can give us.